Nerd Legion is back with our final episode of, not of the show, of course, but of, I was going to say. Yeah, ever. Okay. Ever. Oh, it's, it's over. Wow. It's this Jover. comes as a shock. It's Jover, Doa. It was short but sweet, but it's Jover now, right? <laughs> uh, no, final episode on Star Trek Strange New World Season 2. We have reached the end of the season and also the end of Star Trek probably for a long time given the writer slash actor strike that is occurring. It ended on a cliffhanger, of course. So how long will we have mm -hmm. to wait for season three? A really long time, most likely. I'm worried because this is a type of situation that would result in a show just being randomly canceled and then we talk about it for years to come to be like, well, what if they had continued? That's <laughs> That type of thing just happens, right? So I'm worried about that happening. But you know, if you need your Star Trek fix, Monty, there there is one option that's coming out. There is oh. a season four of a Star Trek show that's hitting a little bit later in the fall uh, called Lower Decks. Oh, okay. That, you know, my, uh, <laughs> my favorite thing about uh, our TikTok at Last Free Nation Culture, if you guys want to laugh, uh, first off, the clips are great. Shout out to Adanian, our editor, who does this show as well. Um was that the Lower Decks fans got mega triggered by my <laughs> takes about Lower Decks. Mega triggered. They just couldn't handle it. And I have to say, though, as Star Trek fans and probably most mm. pop culture fans are not ready for esports level hot takes because it breaks their fragile <laughs> mm, little minds uh, in, in ways that I didn't think it was possible just saying that Lower Decks was kind of questionable as a show in terms of its concept and calling it Bad Adult Swim, mm. which it absolutely is. But I uh, will say this. At least Lower Decks fans aren't as bad as Rick and Morty fans. <laughs> They're the most <laughs> annoying uh, mature content fan base in the history of the world. Um, and I'm not including uh, the My Little Pony Friendship is Magic fan base because that's that's not a show geared towards adults. It's geared towards children. So is, their is adult that, fan that, base doesn't qualify for this particular argument. Is that fan base still going? Didn't that show end years and years? I don't and years think ago? so. I, okay. I think it's I think it's done. But it left a, it left its mark. It left it left its hoof print on me, if you will. <laughs> this uh, seeing this this uh, phenomenon emerge and, uh, you know, kind of watching that kind of happen. So. Yeah. Well, thank God it's gone. There you go. Oh. In any case, uh, <laughs> we did criticize. Uh, you liked the crossover episode with Lower I Decks. Really I really did. I really did. And I'm not a Lower Decks fan, but I really did like the crossover. Yeah. I, I thought it was pretty tired. Uh, but we do have the much-anticipated musical episodes. We're going to go over the last oh, three yes. episodes, all of which I thought were pretty good. Shocking. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, funny enough, I thought that the uh, the final episode of the season was the weakest of the three that we're going to talk about today. And and that's not even too harsh a criticism because it was still okay. Um, it wasn't great, but it was still okay. But yeah, um, just to give you my tier list, right, of the, the three episodes <laughs> here. I mean, uh, episode eight, uh, the under the, the cloak of war, I think it was called. Yes. I, I usually write the title down, but uh, that was my favorite episode of strange new worlds ever it's one of my favorite favorite episodes of star trek in general ever i think at this point it was fantastic the musical was shockingly kind of fun actually i was going into it pre-cringing and uh and i i really was impressed actually so so we'll talk about that and then the the big cliffhanger one we'll, we'll get to that uh, at the end i'll leave it a cliffhanger with everything i thought about that but now. it was yeah it was it was fine uh it, it, mm -hmm. the, the last episode was fine i we've said we're not 
super into the whole Gorn arc, but I'm glad at least they got nah. back to it after ignoring it for effectively the entire season. <laughs> the, after the entire season. In, in episode one, uh, when Admiral April said, oh man, those good thing we avoided war with the Klingons because we couldn't be on uh, war on two fronts with the Gorn, and then they just ignored it for ten episodes before getting back to it. It's like end. even the writers of the show know that the Gorn aren't very interesting, so they're like, <laughs> "Oh man, we set this up as our big bad, but like, do we really want to do? It's it's just aliens. It's just aliens. It's just I'm, I'm talking about like like uh you know uh Ridley Scott, James Cameron, aliens, alien movies, right? Chestbursters, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ripley, all that, that kind of aliens, you know. I mean, that's, that's boring. It's, it's kind of a... You can put them in a space suit like they did, and that looks a little bit cooler, but it's still still kind of boring. But we'll get, we'll get to that. Let's let's talk about Episode 8, though. I Again, I, I'll say it again. This is probably one of my... Going to go down as one of my favorite episodes of, of any Star Trek series ever, because it was... Uh, it, it really built a new depth to characters that we we have not seen as much in this series. They've been doing a better job of it this season, uh, post-episode four. But now, a lot of things in retrospect make more sense. You know, you and I were actually chatting about this a little bit, that this almost feels like an episode that belonged in season one because it tells you so much about Mbenga and Nurse Chapel as characters, you know? I, I totally agree. And a lot of our complaints, if you go back to our first episode that we did on Strange New Worlds, was that episode one really didn't make a lot of sense with the nurse and doctor fight. And it comes off as rather yeah. stupid because you lack the critical information that this episode gives you. And there's no real reason why this episode couldn't have been done in season one or it couldn't have been done earlier or before the episode where they fought the Klingons. Is the concept of the Klingon beating up drug still dumb? Yes. It is no less Stimpacks. dumb now than it was Starfleet before. Starfleet Stimpaks? <laughs> yeah, Starfleet Stimpaks <laughs> from, of course, StarCraft. StarCraft, um, yeah. But when, is it still stupid? Yes, it is. It is still stupid because obviously if this could be used, it would have been used repeatedly by Starfleet at every other point in time from this point forward, even though he seems reluctant to make it in this episode. Don't they it don't they kind of imply that it does bad things to you as as steroids and like speed and okay. stuff okay, often Doha. do? Okay, Doha. If you yeah. are in a life or death situation, would you rather take the stim pack that maybe might kill you or yeah. hurt you in a long enough timeline? Or I don't know, just use it to fight people, which is when you're under constant threat like the people in Starfleet are in every Star Trek series. You'd think they would just break the glass in case of emergency a few more times. When you know Riker would have been like using that stuff all the time. I don't so, know. We'll ignore like, that. It is dumb, but at least it makes slightly more sense now. You designed it, right? Make more. Even if I could, I wouldn't. It turns out that pumping your body full of adrenaline and pain inhibitors is bad for your health. I'd rather die tomorrow than today. Come on, be reasonable. My team needs an edge. And I yeah. think, I also think it takes away from Mbenga's character because what I, what we learned is that he's just a badass. And I think this yeah. is cool. And what is, uh, Mbenga is like very quickly becoming my favorite character on the show because the more development we get for Mbenga, like the cooler he becomes. And also mm -hmm. I feel like he is, a really unique character in the Star Trek universe. There's not a good analog of his kind of character in another show. Uh, he uh, really stands out, I think. 
I, you know, I was thinking about this actually, and I thought he kind of is starting to remind me a little bit of Garrick from DS9 in a sure. different way. In that you have a character that has a, a seemingly mundane role uh, on the surface, right? Garrick was just a tailor, right? But there's this this depth and this backstory and this kind of sinister past to them, you know, that gets brought out more and more over the show as they're sort of called back into action. And I kind of, I get that vibe with Mbenga too, that, you know, is he a, a quiet doctor or is he like a super assassin in secret, you know? <laughs> Turns out he kind of is. Well, the thing is, like, Garrick was more of an intelligence spy master. Uh, yeah. And Mbenga is like black ops, right? So, yeah, more. I, it's more like the mundane appearing role sure. with a, a interesting dark past, you know? <laughs> yeah. He, he's also a Hippocratic Oath hypocrite, it turns out. <laughs> Hippocratic? Is that a word? I don't know. My, All right. I, by the way, I also got like a filling on one of my teeth earlier this morning, and I'm still like slightly numb on this side of my face. So if I, I look weird or speak weird or drool, I feel it. I feel it right now or drool. It's not because I took the Starfleet stim pack. It's because I was injected with a numbing agent that was very powerful. <laughs> All right. So this episode, I, I think is I think conceptually is super cool, right? Because you have yeah. this Klingon general who is trying to basically be an ambassador for peace after during the Klingon and Federation war, uh, allegedly committing brutal atrocities on the planet of Jagal, which is where Imbunga and um, Christine Chapel, Nurse Chapel, are stationed. And they're doing emergency triage on this planet. And it's about the realities of war. And Mbenga is being begged by Starfleet special forces to go in and assassinate this general. Uh, and the general ends up kind of fleeing uh, and allegedly killing his own officers in his escape attempt. Uh, and then he then he later becomes this messenger of peace and this, this person who is trying to uh, build bridges between the Federation and the Klingons, which is an interesting concept but at the same time, he's now on the Enterprise being transported by them. And clearly, the people who are on Jagal, like Mbega and Chapel, have very strong negative feelings about him and don't trust him, which is turns out to be logical and true. Yeah, um, it's, uh, it, it is interesting because the, that character, like, I really loved the, the, the depth in that you want to be sympathetic for this Klingon character that's become this diplomat because... You know, we we want to believe that people can change, and and you know maybe he did change, but then there's also the aspect of it. It's like, well, you're still responsible for this, you know. So you you know you still should uh, atone for that in some way. But who is the person who decides how you atone? You know, and uh, if if the government has decided one thing, you know, is it within the rights of someone else who is personally connected to the horrible things you did? to, you know, mete out their own justice. So there's there's a lot to think about in this, especially in a, a, a post-war setting, you know, where I think one of the themes of Star Trek is a lot of the crew is dealing with sort of the, you know, the the trauma of having been in the the Klingon War, right? Yep. And um, I think it's, it's interesting to see a series approach that particular aspect because, you know, war and battle has always been a big part of Star Trek, you know, but we really haven't seen a lot of uh, a lot of you know long-term exploration into the um, effects of a crew that goes through something like that where 
is in our own real lives, you know, I think a lot of us, uh, you know, I have multiple friends that have been to war and then are still, you know, psychologically dealing with the consequences for sure. that. So it's a very real thing that affects a lot of people, uh, you know, in real life that uh, that we either know or are watching this show. And so it's interesting to see Star Trek kind of explore that to a greater degree with not just in Benga and Chapel, but like, uh, um, oh my gosh, why do I always forget the pilot's name? Ortega? It's... Ortegas, yeah, uh, you know she was in the war. Obviously, that's part of this episode too. Um, so there, you know, it's it's a it's a topic I think that that Star Trek should be exploring a bit more, and I'm I'm glad they are with uh, with the series, especially with this episode. In classic uh, Strange New Worlds fashion, this is not the first time in Star Trek that this has been explored uh, because there's a huge arc in Deep Space Nine around Nog and his PTSD. That uh, ends oh, up yeah. when he goes and he, he basically like lives in the holodeck with Vic Fontaine, uh, which is the Vegas mm -hmm. lounge singer. Um, and well, he loses his leg, doesn't he? Yeah. 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 And then he has he, he basically has a his he has a, you know, a psychological he has PTSD, which prevents him from kind of moving on with his life. And he has some psychosomatic conditions. And so mm -hmm. I think that Star Trek has already done PTSD very well, not to say that they can't do it again or it's not being done well here, because I think it is. Um, but it, this is, again, you know, I every time I I want something new out of Strange New Worlds, I kind of feel like it's retreading old ground in many ways. But in spite of that, I do agree with you, Doa, that this is a really good episode. And because it, it deals with a lot more than that, right? And I think what's cool about this one and where it does break new ground, and off the top of my head, I can't really think about where this has been done in Star Trek before, was your point about who deserves forgiveness if you are a war criminal, right? And mm. is it noble? Because we find out later that the Klingon general basically has lied about killing his own officers and that he was the one who gave the order uh, to kill civilians and that it was actually Mbenga who came and killed his officers while he was running away. So basically the general has misrepresented himself uh, in his attempt to become this broker of peace. And so even if his actions are noble, if they come from lies and if they come from war atrocities, does he deserve to continue um, you know, being the, being the bridge builder between the Federation and the Klingons? Because I hmm. think his, what we see from him, everything that we see from him in this episode makes him appear that he is actually a changed person. And yet, he still, you know, there's the question of did he pay for his crimes, right? And that is very deeply yeah. embedded. Which, again, like, raises the other question is, you know, whose job is it to make him pay for his crimes? Yes. You know, is there a, a certain amount of, like, forgiveness that is understandable and acceptable at an institutional level where a government can say, all right, well, this person will do more good now in this diplomatic role, despite what they've done in the past, versus the, you know, the personal uh, situation of, I was there, I saw what this person did, you know, uh, I represent the people that they directly affected with their, you know, with the atrocities they committed, you know. So that, that it is, it is really interesting, because obviously it relates to a lot of things that happen in, in, in real life. But um, going uh, through the episode a little bit more, uh, it was kind of interesting to see, you know, a Starfleet at war, you know, 
because we've seen it touched on a few times here and there's the Dominion War in, in uh, Deep Space Nine. Obviously, there's the, the Borg conflict in uh, TNG that was kind of a smaller scale war, I suppose, uh, to a certain extent. Um, but we really, I feel like we've really never seen Starfleet like on the ground in the trenches like this before which was kind of just, and we see where the pattern buffer thing came from too you know where uh you know and i know you don't like that but i think it's it's better explained now in that it was sort of this yeah, janky yeah. uh you know trick that he learned uh during the war to keep people preserved until they could get proper medical care which again would have been useful information to know before his whole daughter arc thing would have made it a little <laughs> bit less weird but um but yeah but now we now we know at least you know so whether that was written in there to kind of explain it uh, I thought it, I thought it worked okay for the episode because it showed some of the hard choices they had to make. You know, he essentially pulled the plug on that one uh, Starfleet guy that was in the pattern buffer so that they could like reset it to beam in a whole new group of patients, if I recall correctly. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, there there was there's just a lot of good stuff in this episode. I think uh, the line uh, uh, "I am the butcher of Jagal" is uh, now it's it's I I think it's going to go down as one of those famous Star Trek lines. You know. Because that, that's that's really like a moment when like you're kind of coming to this realization at the same time as the Klingon office. You're like, oh yeah, it was like uh, it was him. It was actually Mbenga, you know. <laughs> I told you, I was there. I am the butcher of Jagal. All of this time. I like, love, holy crap. I, I love this though, because uh, yeah. basically, you know, Mbenga, they start to lose, right? His his Andorian friend who was one of the the special forces officer who was begging him to come on this mission with them because we learned, you know, through the, the dialogue that Mbenga was a special ops uh, soldier at one point in time. And he says, oh, no, I've left that behind me. I'm a doctor now. I don't want to do that anymore. And basically things get so desperate that he just goes on a solo mission to, to kill this general, right? And so he goes in and even though the general took credit for killing his officers and escaping right um and kind of like framing his officers i guess for the attacks on the civilians and so it appears mm -hmm. that uh, he the general himself had gotten fed up and therefore was killing his officers for ordering those attacks imbega knows that it was actually the general who orders those attacks and that his officers died trying to save him from imbega but the general never saw imbega he was fleeing and so yeah. he didn't understand that Mbenga was the one who, who knew the truth. He was the only one, in fact, the only living person who knew the truth because he killed the three other Klingons. And mm -hmm. so I thought that was really ingeniously done where Mbenga earlier in the episode asks which one fought him hardest because mm -hmm. he knew which one was the best fighter in that scenario. And the general just straight up lies to him. Uh, and then I love the I really enjoyed the climax of this episode because the general is trying to convince Mbenga because he knows um, he was on Jagal, but he doesn't yet know that Mbenga was who he was and like was trying to kill yeah. him. But he comes in and he keeps trying to convince Mbenga to be the human person. Uh, the human part of the bridge between the Klingons and the Federation and show that in spite of all they had been through on this one planet, in spite of the brutality of war, that they could be friends and a symbol of peace. He basically says, no, 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 leave me alone. Go away. I don't want to do this until mm -hmm. he finally just gets pushed to the brink by this general and he pulls out the knife 
that he used to kill those Klingons. Mm. And they get into a fight. And what I love is that it's just left ambiguous as to who started the fight. Because yep. obviously the general, his whole identity would be under threat if Mbenga decided to reveal this. So if the general thought that he was going to get exposed, that perhaps he would have started the fight with Mbenga. But it's left kind of behind this, you know, frosted glass in the med bay. I love where, that. Yeah, where yeah. they get into a fight. The general ends up with a knife in him and dead. And the best part is, is because only Mbenga knows that he is actually the Butcher of Jagal, that there is no evidence because everyone else thinks it was the general. So it makes sense that he would have the knife with the other Klingon's blood on it. And mm -hmm. so it appears that Mbenga is the one who got attacked by him and was just acting in self-defense when it was really Mbenga with the knife potentially just killing him because he hated him and didn't want him to live, which is just... It is a beautiful ending to that and completely yeah. plausible. Like, it's such a well-written episode. And this is why it's so frustrating to watch this show, Donna, because we get an episode like this where I'm like, <laughs> damn, this is an excellent episode of Star Trek. So many philosophical quandaries to think about, cool revelations about this character, uh, plausible plots where they, like, thought about all the different angles and, like, why Mbenga could get away potentially with killing this guy in a logical sense. And... Yeah, why can't but we every don't episode know. by this It'd be like this? It was it was great. Yeah, I I love the ending. I do I agree. I do love the ambiguity. Um, I and I'm fine just going through the rest of the series not knowing. You know, is Mbenga just like this murderer essentially now who's gotten away with it, or did he defend himself and and you know he's still kind of dealing with that trauma as well? But um, and I'm fine with just never knowing. I think that's yeah, fine if they never go back and touch that. On the other hand. We haven't really gotten a great trial episode yet. They tried. They tried in season two. Maybe we go back and we have a better trial episode because, frankly, this provides better material. This is better material for the trial than just like, hey, uh, Una is genetically engineered. Yeah, like literally the same trial that we saw with Bashir and Deep Space. Yeah, exactly. So let's do something a little bit more interesting if we're gonna do it. I'm I'm kind of on I'm on the side of let's not let's just leave it ambiguous and just have that be a cool facet of Mbenga's character. But if you must go back to it, you know you I think you could do a good trial episode out of this. Because yeah. it goes back to the, the the concepts we already talked about. So. Yeah, I, th I thought this was yeah. great. I agree with you. I think it's the best mm -hmm. episode of Strange New Worlds. I think it is a an extremely memorable episode in the entirety of Star Trek. And that's yeah. a very encouraging sign. Because as we said repeatedly, oftentimes the good Star Trek shows take a couple of seasons to kind of find their groove. You deal with a lot of up and down episodes. And then by the mm -hmm. time you get to you know, seasons four, five, you know, three to a lesser degree, that's when all of the episodes or the vast majority of them become absolute bangers. And if we're on I, that trajectory, I'm cool. Yeah. Because here's the thing. All the characters are great in this show, yes. honestly. Yes. It's not like Voyager that has like two thirds of the characters are absolute trash. You know, the good <laughs> Star Trek shows, Next Gen and DS9, you know, they've got these wonderful, wonderful characters in them. And I really like, and, and I think all the members of this crew are very compelling. And arguably before this episode, maybe Mbenga was the most boring character, but all of a sudden he's one of the most interesting characters. And there's so many things you can do with this backstory of his right now. Um, that, yeah. certainly that's going to come back around again, right? Somebody from his past is going to show up at some point in time. Um, somebody he thought he killed or somebody seeking revenge for someone he did kill. There's a lot of angles you could go with this that I think are really cool. Yeah. Or Starfleet trying to rope him in again, yep. you know, I mean, to go on cool missions. It's I'm, I'm telling you, like the Garrick, 
uh, you know, similarities are yeah. there, right? Where he's trying to leave that life behind, but you know, he keeps getting drawn back into it, and and that's that's fun. It was one of the most tense hours of television I've ever watched because just every conversation on the episode has these layers on it where it's like some of the people in the room were there, some of the people in the room fought in that war, you know, and some of the people in the room want to get through this and want to accept this this diplomat and it's just it's great. And they keep ratcheting up the tension throughout the episode right to the end. And yeah, I think I think that was just that was one of the best episodes of any show ever that I've ever seen. Yeah. It was it was that good. It was really that good. Yeah. yeah. I thought it, I thought it was great. Um yeah. I would then, love more of that. <laughs> yeah, me too, me too. Uh, but, you know, I don't mind the uh, lighter-hearted, sillier episodes as well, which takes us from that episode right into the musical episode, um, which, which again, you know, we were worried. I, I didn't watch the trailer for it. I didn't want to know anything about it coming into it. Um, I don't watch trailers for TV show episodes anyway. That's, that's weird. But, uh, but... I the first thing I wrote down was that no matter how this goes, I really respect the amount of effort it takes yes. to make an episode like this yeah. because all the choreography, actors really kind of stepping out of their normal way of doing things, um, which they all did fantastically, um, and uh, and just you know so there's a lot of extra stuff that goes into an episode like this that I really appreciated and I was planning to appreciate even if it didn't go well you know uh, and, it, and it did. Um, but I mean, another thing is, as I've said this many times before, I love when I feel like I can sense the actors having fun, and uh, and it felt like everyone was having an incredible amount of fun making this this episode too, because you know it it was just so off the wall, which is again what we've come to expect from the series. You never know what the next episode is going to bring, what the tone is going to be, what the story is going to be. Like that's the thing I like the most about the show. You just have no clue what the next episode is going to be. But man, I mean. Where do we where do we dive into this? Um, the my my one initial criticism of it was that a lot of it is based around the romances involved in the series, which to me the romances are the least interesting part of the series because we know none of them work out. We know where, where these characters end up. So like, who cares about all these romantic angles? Because we know that every single one of them I fails. Mean, so. You 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 bring that up as an issue sure. and I totally agree because I think one of the really hard things about doing this show and this is why I generally advocate for uh, when I want when, when I think about Star Trek what I want is stuff that happens after you know the current Star Trek so after Deep Space yeah. Nine or after Voyager after Picard right like I want more of that timeline because it's it's fresh and untrodden ground where the real issue here, and it, it also comes up as an issue in the finale, where you just know Christine Chapel isn't dead because she shows up in the original series. So it really yeah. does suck a lot of the tension away when you are, it's very clear which characters must live and which characters are going to have successful or unsuccessful romances. And that's just something you have to battle against constantly in this series. At least for my wife who's watching this show, she doesn't know any of this stuff, so it's less of a mm. concern for her. But if you are a Star Trek fan, it, it is irksome that you, you just yeah. know the stakes aren't there, right? And you don't even need to be a very big Star Trek fan to know this stuff, because, like, I never really watched the original series. I've seen, like, a couple episodes here and there, but just through watching Star Trek over the years, you know, I know about these aspects of these characters, you know? 
So yeah, when I'm watching that, I'm like, and again, like not to jump too far ahead, but in yeah, in this the finale when Chapel's kind of trapped on the the ship or whatever is, you're like, she's fine. She's gonna be, you know, she's in the original series. We know she's gonna be fine. Yeah, she's fine. <laughs> yeah. So the tension's not there. But uh, anyway, getting back to the the musical one, um, it's it really brought the name Strange New Worlds to the forefront for this series because it's not just talking about it in a Star Trek sense where they're going to like new places and exploring. It's also very much talking about it in a, a writing sense for the show is that you are visiting strange new worlds of, of television through what the show is, is doing. <laughs> well... So I think it, it did typify, typi, typi, typify that. Um, I, I think, you know, this is clearly inspired by the musical episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which is, you know, very, very famous. Is it? Uh, yeah. I've never even heard of that. Yeah. There's Buffy... a musical episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer? Yeah. I never watched that show. <laughs> I, I, I haven't seen a lot of it, but I do know that uh, I, I have seen that episode a long time ago. And people so, might think I'm joking. I'm not. I've, I've genuinely never seen that show, and I had no <laughs> idea there was a musical episode. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I wouldn't say I do think it's obviously very unique for Star Trek, but I think for people who watch sci-fi and fantasy, some of them who are older or who are Buffy fans are going to remember that episode mm -hmm. because it was a very big deal. So uh, I, I do applaud them for doing this, though, and. The reason why I said this in previous episodes, the reason why I, I hate musicals is mm -hmm. that it's not necessarily the content of the music or the content of because a musical could be any form of music. It could be any, you know, yeah. deal with any subject matter. Why I struggle with musicals as a genre is because the switching back and forth between speaking and singing really destroys my my suspension of disbelief i have a very hard time getting emotionally it's, it's invested not, in fiction it's not when supposed to be realistic when, it, it's not about being realistic i like opera okay, okay. opera's not realistic right. i'm saying the swapping okay. back and forth makes it so it's hard for me to have suspension of disbelief because i just feel like it's a very it's very jerking me in and out of the fiction mm -hmm. and so i struggle with that I, I'm just saying, I personally, this is why I don't like musicals. So I think it's easier for me because I grew up with musicals. My my mom loved watching <laughs> musicals. So I saw like all of the classic ones when I was a kid because you'd be watching them constantly. So like, I, I guess I was conditioned to it. I, I watched a lot of musicals when I was younger too. Never made it oh, really? better. <laughs> Never mm. made it better. Um, maybe, so, but why maybe I'm I like, just accepting of musicals. Why mm. I like this this musical is because the way that it's done is that by switching between talking and singing, that is explained by the phenomenon, right? So I can, mm -hmm. I can suspend disbelief easier because the explanation of why they are switching in and out is because of the anomaly that they are dealing with. So it makes it so I can get on board with this musical and not feel very weird while watching it. And I know this is a particular quirk to me, um, I, I, you know, I enjoyed Hamilton, for example, but nobody told me, I, people told me Hamilton was a musical when it's a, it's an opera. And so as long as they're constantly singing and there is no dialogue, I have no problem with the, the suspension of, of disbelief. So this is why I liked this particular musical was because there was a reason behind the switching between speaking and singing that felt very well done and preserved the kind of fictional integrity of that universe and i like that yeah it even took it one step one step further where 
we had an explanation for the singing, but then we also knew when it was more likely to happen. They yeah. set like parameters for what caused people to break out in song, which, which I like too, because then like, yeah, it, it happens in more logical sense when there's a moment of emotional tension, the character has a tendency to start singing is, is what, you know, yeah. how it all works. But uh, my, one of my main criticisms for it was that a lot of the music was very samey. There wasn't uh, I mean, the enough music is not good. difference between the songs. Yeah, there was there was one. The one I kind of liked a little bit more was when Una was doing sort of a Mary Poppins esque song with Kirk. I think it was about yeah. teach, teaching him how to lead a crew. And like I was like, this is it was really funny. I thought and and uh, it was fun to hear them break away from a very generic modern sounding musical Look, uh, type. I, I'm gonna get all of my criticism out of the way because I want to say just straight up, I enjoyed this episode, but it's not flawless, right? And I I don't sure. blame them. As you pointed out earlier, Doa, this was an immense undertaking in order to do this episode in terms mm -hmm. of preparation, singing, songwriting, uh, choreography. Like this was clearly very very difficult, and I think it was successful. So I don't want to shit all over it too hard, but basically the music is not good. You know, it's it's okay. Fairly generic. It's generic. Yeah. It's generic. It's no. We're not getting like Lin Manuel Miranda bangers in here, right? There's nothing, you know, on the on the level of some of his work, whether it's like Hamilton or Frozen or whatever have you, right? So Encanto, like so. But that's not what we're up for. It's an episode of Star Trek. It's not a feature film where <laughs> the music. We're not you know, looking for like exactly. you know. We don't want to buy the so LP I'm, afterwards. I'm, I'm, you know? I'm yeah. tempering my I'm tempering my expectations <laughs> sure. on that front. Yeah, so of course. it's it's serviceable. The music is serviceable. Uh, can all the actors sing? No. Christine Chapel's <laughs> number is quite terrible. Um, Ethan Peck does a good job. Celia Celia Rose Gooding, who has won an I think she has won an Emmy for being part of Jagged Little Pill, which is Alanis Morissette's musical. She's amazing. But there's a really big difference between how well some of these people can sing, uh, which is really noticeable. <laughs> like they had him sing a very, very little bit. And when he did, you could you could really tell why. We finally found a weakness for the for this man. He's got amazing hair. He's a great actor. Those, but aha, we found singing is not his strong suit. Yeah. Nice try though. But yeah, I, I look. I appreciate that all the actors, in spite of their singing abilities, tried. And yeah, I'm sure they got. You know, a little, uh, Christine Chapel definitely got a little auto tune in there, I think. Um, but it, <laughs> but it, it worked though. It all worked. You know, because I again, we don't expect every crew member to be a great singer too so they're sort of being yes, forced to sing exactly. by this phenomenon so you're not really even expecting there to be good singing you know uh so that's a i i kind of wish they would have gone farther with some of the characters being kind of bad at it because you know it's it's an in-universe thing that's causing this so they don't need to be good singers that could be part of the humor that one of them is forced to sing but they're just bad you know yeah and, and so that's why it worked you know that's why it yeah. worked um and I think that this this episode was done really intelligently from a Star Trek perspective and also accomplished quite a few things in a very short timeline that would not have been easy to advance character progression yeah, in, a, sure. in a normal episode. It, it was kind of ingeniously done, if I'm being honest, because... Part of the the trope of musical, and this is obviously self-referential from the episode itself when the characters are literally saying, why am I singing my feelings and why can't yeah. I stop revealing this private information? Uh, it 
it really does a very good job in what musicals gen you know genuinely or opera genuinely accomplished which is that it is an inner monologue that is coming out via the music and it, these these genres are kind of fourth wall breaking soliloquies uh, uh by themselves right and so they mm. use that in order to actually advance character development pretty effectively, whether that is Pike's relationship with Patel or Laon's relationship with Kirk uh, or the breakup between Chapel and Spock. And so yeah. I don't know if they could have accomplished all of these things as quickly and as well as they did without having this musical episode. It just feels like there was some really awesome character development that was happening and they were using the genre of musicals at its most effective in order to get this done. And I thought it was really good. They really got it. Like they really did get what they could do with the genre. It wasn't just, Hey, let's make a funny musical episode. It's like, let's actually utilize this. And, and I had this in my notes too, actually, where I was like, this is actually very cleanly wrapping up a lot of that, like uninteresting romance that has been happening in the series. You know, it kind of put a little, little bow tie on some of that. Some of those things where you're like, all right, well, this isn't that interesting of a little subplot, right? With the Kirk Laon relationship, the Spock chapel relationship, like uh, even the uh, Battelle Pike relationship, uh, which goes way downhill for a different reason in the final episode. Um, you know, that's uh, you know, it's it's good that they use this episode to kind of wrap a lot of that stuff up at least temporarily, so we can kind of get away from that and get to more interesting stuff. Uh, so I had that in my notes too. I thought that was a really clever way of using the genre to write themselves out of some situations that would have just resulted in a lot of like either they would have needed to spend an episode on it, which nobody really wants, or they would have had to spend a significant part of an episode on it. So this is a great way to just get it done in song and, <laughs> and move on, which which uh, I, I really, really liked. That was great. Yeah. And it, it um, every yeah. I like the way all the characters reacted to the situation as well. And I think my favorite mm -hmm. one was La'an saying that this was a security risk, which is true. Yeah. And like, as a security yeah. officer, you would say that because if you can't control singing your secrets but that is a huge problem especially for her who she must maintain the secrets of her time travel adventure with kirk right so mm -hmm. she realizes that this is really really dangerous actually what just happened why did i admit all that i told you this is a security threat but but the singing how did that happen on the Cayuga too because the improbability field is expanding across the whole subspace communications network the entire fleet. Uh, so it is treated with, uh, in spite of all the kind of lighthearted silliness of the episode, some of the characters are very concerned with what this is doing to them. And to the degree yeah. that there is an actual crisis with the Klingons that is taking place, which I think is also very well handled. Yeah, I mean, they... There's a that if you notice uh, tonally with a lot of the musical numbers, there's a negative vibe to it uh, because you have to realize that this is a negative thing that's happening to the characters when they're singing. That they're this is uncontrollable for them and it's traumatizing for them because they're saying things. Yeah, they wouldn't want to say publicly, right? So I I like that they. You know, it's the fun, the ha-ha aspect of it being a musical Star Trek episode. But at the same time, you're like thinking, oh, this is this is a serious situation. And they're kind of treating it like that, which which is great. And the Klingon thing is like, you know, oh, no. And then, <laughs> and, then and you know what's coming. You know that in, you're going to see singing Klingons by the end of the episode. And you're like, how in the world are they going to do this? Please don't make them rap. 
like uh, what what is this going to be like you know and 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 yeah it 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 delivered i would say it it delivered in that those those brief moments <laughs> why have you why you only calling us when you got your dramas one of these days we will pay you we'll slay you gonna draw your last breath at the end of my class your eternal torture is everything on me you know what i mean What what I liked about the Klingon thing is, again, the characters and the act logically in the situation. The Enterprise, mm -hmm. you know, clearly is fucking up. They were the ones who started this, and then they were the ones who spread it across the communication network to the entirety of yep. Starfleet. And they were the <laughs> ones who also accidentally spread it to the Klingons. So it's understandable why the Klingons are angry. And I just mm -hmm. love that they're just on a beeline to go blow this thing up. Uh, they yeah. don't understand that that's going to cause a catastrophe, which is why the Enterprise crew has to defuse the situation before they get there. But I do love that they're very angry about the dishonor that they have suffered as a result of the uncontrollable <laughs> singing. And I was I yeah. was terrified that we were going to get an entire Klingon number, Doa, and it was going to be too much. But they did yeah. the exact right amount of <laughs> Klingon boy band singing slash rapping where you got yeah. the taste of it, but it wasn't, it wasn't overboard. It was just the exact, exact right amount of silliness. And then it just went away and that's all we get. And that's all we need. That's all well, we need. It was, it was like an intense burst of the most silly uh, <laughs> song we've seen yet, you know? So they, yeah, again, they did it. They did it exactly how they should have where, it was the most because Klingons are the most intense, you know, people, right? So of course, like they're gonna have the most overboard, you know, over, you know, huge singing kind of thing. But it's very, very short, thankfully. But uh, <laughs> I, I'm glad that they they wait to go to the extreme to do it with the Klingons, and then they have it be very quick. But then it also does make you think and imagine all across the Klingon Empire, like Klingon boy bands, uh, <laughs> you know, and girl groups breaking out in uh, pop numbers, you know, which is <laughs> hilarious to think about. And that's nice, because we didn't need to see that, because our own thoughts are going to be funnier than what they probably could have produced in the larger setting. So, yeah, I, I really like the way they did that, too. It was, uh, yeah. Oh, you know what? Uh, you know what I actually had as a note? I just noticed towards the end of this episode... Um, breaking into the into the fi finale for the season too is uh, I have a note that said, uh, "Oh no, Pike's girlfriend is going to die," because just the way that they ended that, where she's like, "I'm going to go off and do this thing," it the way it was sounded such there was a sense of finality to it that I got the vibe right away during that episode. I'm like, "Oh, I think she's going to die," um, which again is is a great way to rape well, to wrap up a romantic <laughs> relationship. I my mouth is numb. My mouth is numb. We'll edit that out. Maybe um, <laughs> we won't. <laughs> oh no! Uh, my mouth. I, I had a filling earlier. If you're just coming in now, the left side of my mouth is still very numb. I'm doing the best I can. <laughs> Wrap up a r romantic relationship. You try saying that. Being getting three injections. The first two were not enough. I was still feeling the drilling, and they had to go for the strongest stuff. It was miserable. But uh, not as miserable as Pike is going to be when Battelle dies <laughs> soon. Um, but anyway, so I did. Aha, I, that was another thing. I feel like I called because we don't know if she's going to die yet, but yeah. I'm pretty sure. Anyway, continue. Yeah, let's go on to the next episode because this sure. is the this is the Gorn one. We've complained. Oh, hold on. oh sorry, sorry, sorry. Oh. Can I interrupt? Uh, one one last thing. One last wrap up for the musical episode. 
I like that once again, uh, every problem with the Klingons is solved by sending Spock to go get drunk with them. As for the Klingons, Lieutenant Spock engaged in successful diplomacy over some blood wine. Otherwise, it's back to business as usual around here. Because that seems <laughs> that to be like too. a running theme now. That seems to be a running theme now that Spock just goes part goes and parties with the Klingons and gets drunk. And like that solves their issues with the Klingons for a temporary time, you know? I also love that. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. like what was good about the the last episode and this episode is that the callbacks and references or explanations of previous episodes really strengthened the entire series. Yeah. Um and I just wish that I, I hope the running joke about Spock getting wasted with Klingons continues because it's just that's it, a great point. It yeah. is just super funny that oh. after the whole like almost war that they had at the start of this season and Admiral that's April just saying, oh, well, Spock, your hangover is your punishment <laughs> for mutiny. Now it's just, oh, well, we almost uh, blew up everybody, but uh, just go get go drink some blood wine. It's going to be Send Spock over there. <laughs> Wow, is this becoming a good Star Trek series? I think it is. The last three episodes I, were good, man. They were good. I think it really is. Yeah. Well, let's go to episode 10, the, the season finale, the big cliffhanger, the, the episode where we finally get around to Gorn stuff. But who cares about the Gorn? Because Scotty's in this episode. We we introduce Scotty. Forget the Gorn. They're not interesting. They're just lizard people. We get Scotty. And you know what? It's a good Scotty. <laughs> it was a good Scotty. Yeah. Uh very funny relationship with Carol Kane as well. Yep. Uh, you find out. Uh, I think he's. Uh, I think the the way they introduce Scott is is great, uh, and I, it makes me it makes me excited about how they're going to introduce other characters in the lead up to the original series and how they're going to start putting mm -hmm. them on the ship over time. We don't know if Scotty's going to stay, but since his old crew has died, I would assume he's going to stick around at this point in time. I am. I'm already excited about the Pelia Scotty duo in the, in the <laughs> engine room. I think, cause I, I think funny, you gotta honestly. have, cause this is another tenant of successful Star Trek series. The, the duos, there's uh, the characters over time in both TNG and Deep Space Nine tend to kind of pair off and sort of become like duos almost. You've got uh, Jordy and Data, I think, are a, a good one to uh, to think about from, or Jordy and Worf too. I mean, it's they're not exclusive duos, but there's certain pairs that tend yes. to work well, and the writers figure that out over time. So right. I immediately thought Pelia and Scotty could work well as uh, one of those yeah, like Kira, classic Kira, Star Trek duos. Kira yeah. and Odo, Bashir and O'Brien. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, these, these are. I agree with you. Um, Picard they, and Riker. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So there you go. Um, yeah, I, I think Cisco and Garrick, like, as well, is just yep. very funny. Um, uh, um, uh, Garrick and, um, Quark. <laughs> well, Quark and, Quark and yep. Odo as well. Yeah, all those, all those. Quark uh, and Odo, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's, yeah. yeah so but anyway, anyway. Um, uh, yeah, I agree. And I think that, that you could already see the, the comedy brewing there, which was encouraging because clearly, as she mentioned, Pelia mentions that one of her best students with some of the worst grades. So we know that Scotty's very uh, resourceful and creative, but maybe not the most disciplined or. <laughs> yeah. He just builds things. I like it. He's like, everyone else is playing like, uh, you know, some sort of military sim and he's out there playing Fortnite. He's just gathering resources and building whatever he needs at the time. <laughs> yeah. I like so, it. Yeah. Pretty, pretty fun, pretty fun dynamic that I think they're introducing. I do hope that he kind of sticks around as a more permanent cast member going forward because we have mm -hmm. part-time Kirk right now, uh, but full-time, <laughs> full-time Montgomery Scott would certainly be fun. 
Uh, I think part-time Kirk is good. Full-time <laughs> Kirk is not right for this series. No. You know, I think it's fine they bring the character back as a reoccurring, you know, guest star. But um, this is Pike's ship, you know. Yes. So I think we should we should keep it like that. Yeah. Agreed. Well, in any case, the Gorn are back. Uh, the Gorn are super boring still because it's everything yep. we've already seen from other movies. I mean, even even just the visual shots, Doa. When they're on yeah. the, the broken wreck of the Cayuga <laughs> and the tail comes down from the ceiling is almost it's a aliens. shot for a shot of aliens. You know, it's yeah. almost a perfect shot of, you know, from those films. So and here's the thing with the Gorn, whether it's a lizard rubber suit or it's a CG lizard, it's still just a big lizard. It's still just a boring monster. And like they here's here's why they are not ever going to be i don't think an interesting antagonist in this series is because you can't really have a dialogue with them um they they maybe indicate that you sort of can because for the first time the gorn has communicated something to starfleet in that they kind of they drew a, a line on the stand <laughs> yeah essentially yeah but you can't you can't have the type of interesting dialogue that star trek thrives on right and like this goes back to me and like the halo series because in in Halo, the video game series, the Flood are very interesting because they're really driven by these religious beliefs they have, but there's a, a very rigid caste system involved and there's conflict within that and there's lots of communication between the humans and the Covenant and all that. And then you got the Flood coming along that's just monsters that run at you and they're boring. Monsters that run at you are boring, right? So now I look at this show and I'm like, it's the same thing. There's all sorts of races throughout the Star Trek universe that are interesting to interact with. The Gorn are not one of them. I don't think they ever will be. We know they're still just big lizard people because of the original series. Can we please get past the Gorn? Can we just like have the first episode of season three be like, you know, solve the Gorn thing and then we just never talk about them again? That'd be great. Please. <laughs> yeah. like, I'm so anti-Gorn. I, I, I agree with you because the problem is is that they're so reminiscent of, of aliens that it's hard to get past it. And yeah. you can't, like you say, you can't have a, a meaningful dialogue with them where they haven't actually presented that yet. And even the threats that they represent, such as, as you mentioned, Patel getting the eggs laid in her. Not only is that just chest bursters from aliens, but it's even yeah. it's even derivative of other forms of Star Trek, like the Borg, which is like once you get assimilated, you just become Borg and you're dead. Right. Basically, uh, with usually a, a, a few exceptions. <laughs> but once you get yeah. the once you get the nano robots injected into you, it's pretty difficult to come back from that and it's the mm -hmm. same kind of impending doom sort of Damocles scenario when we hear yeah. about Patel with the eggs in her which is that as far as we know that kills you 100% of the time but they put her in stasis don't worry Doa they'll put her in the pattern buffer soon enough <laughs> they'll put her in the pattern I, you know, she's, she's going in the pattern buffer <laughs> I uh, you know the thing is is like Patel just is, is she's not an interesting character to me we just don't we haven't seen enough of her and 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 had enough of her doing things into show in the show to make her more than just sort of like Pike's relationship person you know yeah. And and that like sounds dismissive. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a plot device, right? And that sounds dismissive and to that character, but that's because they've been dismissive to that character. Yeah. She just sort of shows up to cause a little bit of relationship drama for Pike, and then she disappears until they need another injection of that in the show, apparently, you know? So I say, let the Gorn pop out of her. Let it end. <laughs> let us, let season three be the season without romance. 
and just Star Trek, you know? And if it's romance, let it be a single episode romance, you know? <laughs> like, or, or find a way to do it well. But I just don't see, you know, I just don't have a lot of confidence for, you know, romance in the show being interesting for a variety of reasons that we've already talked about, so. Well, maybe maybe Mbenga can have a, an interesting romance. <laughs> maybe, maybe. I mean, yeah, because he's yeah. So he's not in the original series, so they can do whatever they want with him. So maybe <laughs> maybe that's possible. But as far as like the Gorn and Battelle go, hashtag free the Gorn, let them burst forth and end this. <laughs> I I think it's also just a testament to how weak the Gorn are. When if you think about this episode, you could literally replace the Gorn with any kind of existential threat. Like, you could make this a zombie movie or a zombie episode where they're all boarded into the restaurant. And it would Zombies be... are boring, too. But That's not the point, Dilla. The point is that it is exactly the same episode, no matter yeah. what antagonist you put outside of that restaurant, right? The, the most interesting totally. parts are when they're hiding or trying to, you know, go to this shuttle and scrap together everything. And so... When when an, when an adversary is completely replaceable, which they are in this episode, it's a bad it's a bad adversary. It's a bad adversary. It could be literally anything outside. Yeah. Um. So there's the little nurse chapel arc, um, where she goes to the remains of the saucer section to. Uh, uh, oh no, she's just on the ship. That's right. She was just on the ship because she was temporarily there. That's right. It's very convenient then, that um, she was the only one who survived. By the way, extremely convenient. right. <laughs> I know. That's that's. There's sometimes this show strays into kind of like, oh, this happened because plot. You well, know? so it's like, let me, why let me is why this is Spock? Part. We pull up my pencil. Spock the, okay, go ahead. I'm just gonna yeah. rewrite this part right now. Okay, remember how mm. she was on the planet and Patel says, "Oh, you're done here. Why don't you just beam back up to the Cayuga?" And she says, "Okay, goodbye. Beam me up." Right. And here's the thing. She could have just been on the planet with the rest of the people the whole time. They didn't have to actually put her on the ship. And here's the mm -hmm. reason why that's even worse, Doa, because there wasn't really anything about Spock or Chapel being on the ship together that advanced their relationship because everything happened after they were beamed back up into the ship and they were like, oh, I'm sorry. I guess the yep. answer could have been because the people on the surface were beamed up by the Gorn, so that would have put Chapel onto the Gorn ship as opposed to maybe she needs to do something in the cliffhanger on the Enterprise because they got both her and, and Spock back. But I do yeah. think, I mean, she could have been in an escape pod. You know what I mean? It would have made more sense or they could have picked up. For example, they could have been an escape pod, picked her up on the other side, and they still could have done absolutely everything they did with the Cayuga in terms of making it crash into the beacon that was blocking all their communications. So I just feel it was really cheap. And there was nothing about being on the ship together and dealing with that Gorn that advanced the plot between Spock and Chapel. So what was the point? It was just yeah. kind of dumb. Well, why did Spock have to go to the saucer section anyway? They said he was the only one who could do it. I'm because, like, right? The uh, so, only yeah. one who could put the rocket engines on it? So, really? So I interpreted really? that. I interpreted that to mean that he might be the only person physically capable of doing it because Vulcans are significantly stronger than humans, but it's also zero uh, okay. G. It's also zero yeah, okay. G, so it's it's zero gravity so like yeah, things don't do <laughs> i i think we're explaining something that doesn't really have a good explanation <laughs> I, again I, you know I, that's what because i was i was th i thought about that and i said it must be just because vulcans are significantly stronger than humans but i don't think he's only half vulcan yeah it doesn't matter he's still much stronger than humans <laughs> and sure. uh than full humans and so 
I thought there was going to be some aspect of that that mattered. Maybe they could have said he's the only one with the appropriate zero G training, which also would have potentially made sense. But they didn't even bother to explain. They didn't it. say that. Yeah, no, they that they. <laughs> we need drama. Send Spock. That's that's what he's I got. The only one who yeah. can provide the necessary drama, Doa. <laughs> only Spock. But it's, it's not even real drama. It's like yeah. they even went as far as the classic like bang on the window, but he doesn't hear you go by. It's like, oh come on. Like we had we had two great episodes, and now this one, this one, it wasn't terrible, but it, it was, was just okay. kind of it was kind of generic actiony, you know. It's it's just it was it was un it was uninteresting to me I, it, overall. It, it, look, it wasn't bad, but it wasn't great. It was very mediocre. Baby steps. I appreciated that okay. it wasn't incredibly terrible like the first episode of this season. Fair because enough. At We've least, come a long way. At least when. Admiral April gave orders to Pike in this episode to stay on that side of the line. They, even though they are disobeying orders, you can see the the reasoning behind it, and it feels more yeah. subtle. It's not let's mutiny yeah. and steal the Enterprise and maybe start a war. It's we're going to get these people off of this planet, and we're going to do it via infiltration and a secret mission. We're not just going to go fly around in the Enterprise like antagonizing Klingons, right? Um, and they're trying to do it in a very subtle way. Uh, and, you know, it was all trickery and trying to, you know, fool them by pushing the Cayuga's remains into the beacon. Uh, now, obviously, the Gorn get pretty... I like that. Yeah, they, I mean, they, they, they figure it out and they start getting pissed, right, and attacking yeah. the Enterprise. Um, but I like I like that little plot aspect to it where they had to sort of like use the you know the the remnants of the ship to do that. You don't see a lot of ships crash in Starfleet like that. You don't it's pretty rare um forgetting about some of the the big you know obvious space battle episodes. It's a pretty rare circumstance where a Starfleet ship gets destroyed. Yeah, um which I like. That's something I've always liked about Star Trek is that when a, a ship is destroyed that's a big deal because that does not happen very often. So yeah. I, I liked how they kind of handled that in this this one. Yeah, and it, it felt really impactful. Um, maybe not to the yeah. degree that it did in Gen uh, Star Trek Generations, the movie where they destroyed well, the, that Enterprise the Enterprise. That was the Enterprise. Yeah, uh, that was the Enterprise D. Yeah, which which is apparently repaired, by the way. Oh, great! They, fi they fixed it. <laughs> great you know, for Star Trek Picard season three. <laughs> great, great. I'm not watching that anyway. <laughs> it was explained fairly well when they when they did season three. I'm you should you should you should watch season right. three. It was pretty right. good. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, Skip the other two. But yeah, I, I agree. It, it felt really impactful. And to your to your point about Star Starfleet in general, yeah, I think it it is a big deal when we see these battles and we see the ships getting destroyed, and it feels very meaningful when ships get destroyed in Star Trek, and it did here as well. Yeah. It did here mm -hmm. as well. So I, I like that even though they are technically disobeying orders, they were being at least more subtle about it this time rather than just literally directly disobeying an order and then stealing the ship, right? And obviously captains have to use their own judgment, and that's part of Starfleet is that you can't always go by the rules because each situation is unique and it's up to the captain's judgment in order to do that. Whether you know Pike will be punished for this or not will be a different story, but... Um, probably, you know, there's, there should be some level of conversation that comes out of this uh, with Admiral April or other higher-ups well, at Starfleet, but we'll find out. What I kind of got from it was that it seemed like Starfleet was, like, 
weirdly intense about not having any sort of conflict with the Gorn because you think normally like this was a Gorn attack on Starfleet attack. personnel. Yeah. So it's, I was kind of surprised that like Starfleet wouldn't be like, yeah, just go get our people back. That's it. You know? Yeah. But it kind of, to me, it, and, and some other things earlier in the series, I feel like kind of indicate this too, where Starfleet is just very, very afraid of entering into a conflict on a large scale with the Gorn because the Romulans are out there, the Klingons are still on the edge. So to me, this seems like a very fearful Starfleet administration. So why, you know? this is, why this is ridiculous, Doa, and I think it's not so much Pike's action in this one or the actions of the crew of the Enterprise, where that was really unbelievable in the first episode of season two, mm. but it is, I think, the Admirals and Starfleet Command that's really unbelievable in this one. Because if if they send you this demarcation line, you may think, oh, well, we were settling, you know, our col we created this colony, maybe it is their territory and we don't understand that. Right. And so perhaps we were the ones who, who did an act of aggression. But when they just destroy one of your ships, that is unprovoked aggression. And yeah. what are you going to do? Like you're worried about a war with them. They literally will destroy your ships for no reason. So that line's already been crossed. <laughs> you have to defend yourself. You think so. Like just think about it logically from a military perspective. You must defend yourselves because there's no way to know where their territory is. They just arbitrarily draw the line and send it to you after they've already taken your colony and destroyed your ship. And they can do that at any time they want. So if you do nothing, the only thing the Gorn learn is that they can do that whenever the hell they want. So you have yeah, to, I mean, you have to retaliate. You must well, we retaliate. Know we know the Gorn have already attacked Starfleet colonies too, because La'an has had that experience yes. herself where, where she was living was attacked and destroyed and she was captured for a while. So yeah, it is, it is a bit bizarre that, that did stand out to me too, that it was kind of weird that <laughs> they, wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't would want operate. you to go in. Yeah. It's not it's how weird. a military would operate. Like literally if the, I think if the Cayuga was destroyed around this planet, then you just have to say, well, we're going to save our people. And, you know, the the, the first course, act of course. war and aggression was the Gorn. It wasn't a warning shot, get out of our territory. It was, we're destroying this, we're taking your colony, and, oh yeah, here's the line. But considering they can just, you can't communicate with them, and they can change the line at any point in time, you have to just push back and show that they can't do that. Otherwise, you're weak, right? Otherwise, you're yeah. weak. Um, so this episode ended in... Uh, in, a, in a big cliffhanger where it's like the whole, you know, like fire kind of thing, like the end of uh, what TNG uh, season three, when uh, when it was uh, Riker, you know, saying that versus uh, Picard's Lacutus of Borg ship. Right. Um, so the, the, it's, it kind of calls back to that a little bit, I felt like. But there was a weirdly long pause with uh, Pike. We just kind of stood there and looked around. I was like, this has gone past indecisive to just a bizarrely long pause. And I'm like, oh, Oh, it's a cliffhanger. Oh, okay, I got it. All right, get get on with it. Throw the to be continued out there. We we get it. Yep. <laughs> Why but... is Pike incapable of issuing orders on his own ship? <laughs> he lets other people do it, or he just stands there <laughs> while a bunch of Gorn are literally firing on the Enterprise. I'm like, dude, take command for he's God's like sake. The, he's like the college professor that wants to be everyone's friend. <laughs> exactly. You know, where it's like, no, no, you're the authority figure. You have to, you have to be that person you know but that's that's a pike thing right and every captain is different pike's thing is he runs a very loose ship uh you know um uh social strata wise uh and uh you know i guess regulation wise and, and pretty much in every regard he, he runs a loose ship you know he just likes to hang out it's a party in space and christopher pike has invited you and uh so i i guess i don't know but that was still a really long pause at the end he just kind of stood there. And I even his like, crew is saying, Captain, orders? Yeah. Like, like, I was on. worried. 
he was fighting the urge to break out in song again. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been an interesting twist. <laughs> yeah. What about what over. about the Gorn musical? Yeah, we didn't we missed out on that. Oh. <laughs> yeah. They just do death metal or something. It's like rah, 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 we the Gorn. <laughs> I can see that. I can see it too. Uh, yeah. Either way, so I guess we have to I mean, unless you have anything more to say about the final episode, I, I guess we need to talk about season two as a whole because we've reached the end of of it. Uh it's been a long journey. Filled with twists and turns, <laughs> ups and downs, but here we are at the end. <laughs> I, I appreciate this show's willingness to take risks. I, I think it's had some very high highs and some really low lows. I hope they've learned from the low lows and we can get more of what we saw ending this season. Because even as critical as we were the final episode, it was still way better than the first couple episodes of this season. Way better. Yeah, I mean, I think the the low point of the series so far has been spock amok i'll say it's spock amok one more time i i needed to um we haven't ever hit the that low since then and uh and that's good and season two started off pretty rough I, I think it was the first let me go back and look at my notes it was the first uh three or four episodes that were just not not very good really three oh yeah three is alternate timeline four was okay so it started getting good at episode Four. Episode four was among the Lotus Eaters. Yeah, that, that was, was the episode good. where they went down to the planet where the former Starfleet guy had taken yeah. over and people were forgetting things. And that was the beginning of, of good. So really, it only took about three episodes for this season to start rolling. And, and it was pretty much good from then on, for the most part. We had charades, the funny uh, funny uh, Spock episode. So um, well I didn't like the gas station yep. episode where they just randomly blew up the gas oh, station yeah. because of dead hammer. Yeah, but it lost, was, even though that was bad, that yeah. one, that one was just more forgettable. It wasn't just a heinous crime against Star Trek like episodes one and three were. Those were actual. <laughs> Those were those were those were actual uh, acts of war declared by the writers mm -hmm. against the the memory of Star Trek. Whereas finally they seem to have gotten on board later in the season. So. Well, it got it got good after that. From then on, it was smooth sailing with episode seven, those old scientists, which I really enjoyed. I know you didn't, but uh, then we have eight, nine, and ten, which you just talked about. And so, uh, overall, we have to we you know when we started doing the show, we said we were going to rate things every episode, and we kind of we did that a little bit, and then we sort of started forgetting to. <laughs> but I feel like now at the end of the season, we have to we have to rate it. So, uh, Star we did Trek previously. Ranking. <laughs> we did, yeah, we used that previously. Do you want to continue using yes. that, or do you want to use a different metric? Okay, we'll, we'll go with that. All right. Go I'm ahead. giving it Lieutenant Commander. All right? What? I was, you stole mine! <laughs> I was seriously going to say Lieutenant Commander. Oh. All right. Well, then, so I have to... So if you say Lieutenant Commander, which I think is a good place for it, I have to say Commander. I have to go a rank higher because I liked some of the episodes, namely those old scientists that you weren't a fan of. So I, I liked the season, I think, a little bit more overall than you did. So I'll give it a solid commander, a solid three pips if I got my Star Trek, <laughs> you, uh, you know, pips correct. You okay, did. cool. Yeah, I think I think this show really struggled at the beginning. And unfortunately, we're the problem with this show is we're, we have to deal with the baggage, particularly of the La'an time travel episode for a really long time, which is just <laughs> annoying. And the Gorn kind yeah. of suck as antagonists. But there's a lot of really good episodes in here. I thought the the Spock charades episode was 
I thought extremely good. And the, the characters are all great. And honestly, the actors in this show are all really good as well. Uh, it, yeah. it really like it, as many good Star Trek shows, especially Next Generation, the more episodic Star Trek shows, it does live and die on the strength of the characters because you're introducing the, the whole purpose of this is to play with the characters in new situations every week. And mm -hmm. I was dreading that musical episode because of the way it was marketed. But I thought the actual execution of it was really good. Um, so it was a pleasant surprise. It was a pleasant surprise. And I thought the, the, the season ended strong and I'm actually glad we have this writer strike, not because I'm glad writers aren't making money, but because they're going to have a long time to think about the next season. And I think this period of fair reflection enough. might actually do quite a bit of good for the show. Yeah, fair enough. Hopefully they'll watch our show and then they'll know exactly <laughs> what they need to do. You know, one, one can only hope fingers crossed, but I, I think in, in, in conclusion, for my part, for this, I think uh, the characters can only get that good when the actors are that good. And I think this is one of the best acted shows I've seen in a long time. Not just Star Trek, but just in general on television, um, because mostly because of the range. I mean, the actors in the show can really kind of do it all. They can even sing, right? I mean, you've got really great dramatic chops, really great comedy chops, and kind of everything in between there. So... I, I'm just so impressed with the, the cast of the show overall, and it's just a lot of people that I really enjoy watching work. You know, I think they're all doing a great job. Um, the writing has really kind of come online for the most part, it seems like. Uh, you know, I, I hope someday this means Akiva Goldsmith delivers us another Batman film, but, you know, <laughs> one can only uh, ask so much. But uh, as far as Star Trek Strange New Worlds goes, uh, I'm very optimistic about the future of the show. I... I'm really, really enjoying it. I was looking forward to every episode every week, even even if it ended up being like a, a bit of a bomb, you know? I loved that they were, like you said, willing to really kind of visit strange new worlds in a television sense and uh, do interesting concepts. They would try anything. And I hope the show doesn't lose that. I hope um, they don't ever feel like they need to play it safe and like maintain whatever success they've achieved with the show. Keep going crazy. Keep doing whatever you want to do. Um, I, I can't remember her name, but I know the actress that plays La'an is the person that was really pushing them to do a musical episode. So it sounds like you're getting pretty good suggestions from your cast, too. So, you know, the you know rope them in. You know, get, take some advice there, too, because uh, I think a lot of unique ideas seem to be coming out of that, that, uh, that camp as well. So, yeah, I think overall, I, I really, really enjoyed the season. I'm very much looking forward to season three. Um, I'm worried that we're going to have to watch a bunch of Star Wars stuff uh, until then, uh, which is weird to say. I've always been more of a Star Wars fan than a Star Trek fan, but lately, um, as far as this show goes, uh, Star Trek's winning the uh, the content uh, scene right now, I think, between the, the two star IPs. Uh, well, Andor was good, and that's what we're going to be doing Andor next was week, good. is Ahsoka. Not Andor. Ahsoka, that's right. <laughs> Ahsoka and, is next week, guys. So uh, it does come yeah. out, uh, the the show, the first, what, three episodes you said are going to be released on the 23rd of August. So that's we right. will cover those episodes, and hopefully yeah. it will be as good as Andor. I really hope. Let's let's do a little preview. Let's talk about where our expectations going into this a little bit uh, at the end. Uh, so it's, I, I have, as a, with any Star Wars uh, content, I am, you know, very, very, very cautiously optimistic um, I liked the trailer in that it looked like a, a lot of good old-fashioned lightsaber swashbuckling, which 
I kind of been missing a little bit. Um, Doa, I think it's earlier I think... this episode. I don't watch trailers for TV shows. Also, Doa, this episode, I watch the no, no. For I don't watch trailers for individual episodes. <laughs> individual episodes. I do watch trailers for TV shows, okay. but not for individual episodes. Uh, maybe I didn't clarify that properly. But, but anyway, um, I think the era in which these this show, The Mandalorian, uh, are taking place, the post Jedi era, uh, is a is an interesting era to uh, explore more because you've got the remnants of the Empire out there. You've got you know, the burgeoning New Republic and all that kind of stuff. Um, I feel like these shows let us sort of forget about the sequels and forge a new post-Jedi Star Wars timeline almost, you know, which which I, I like because um, I think the sequels are terrible. Uh, so, I again, I'm cautiously optimistic. Uh, I think it's going to be something. We'll see what it's going to be. <laughs> I have I am filled with dread. Please don't, please don't mess up Admiral Thrawn. Please don't mess up Thrawn. This is the one thing you can't do. Please, yes, please. Lars, Lars Mikkelsen. He's a, he's a good, uh, he's Just a good villain actor. Please don't mess up Thrawn. Okay, uh, <laughs> that's it, guys. We'll be back next week with Star Wars. See you then.